This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Good afternoon, and welcome to Tax Tuesday. Uh, this is our bi uh, biweekly program here at Anderson to help bring tax knowledge to the masses, as Toby always says. I'm Elliot Thomas, manager of tax advisors here at Anderson. Toby's out today and Jeff is out, so but they'll be back. I'm joined today by uh, not really an unfamiliar face. He's been here the last couple times, uh, Kurt Bergford, CPA. Kurt, want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Kurt Bergford. I'm a tax advisor here at ABA. Just looking for a great show today. Uh, help bring in tax knowledge to the masses. There we go. And I think he's joining us from out on the West Coast. Goes a bit between there and, and Utah, so a bit of a traveler on our team. And you may have seen him down at the Orlando event recently, if you were down there. He got uh, a chance to meet a lot of you, is, is my understanding. Uh, got, got asked a couple questions when you were down there, did you, Kurt? Oh, yeah. Plenty of uh, <laughs> very interesting questions down there in Orlando. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, can't wait for the next one. Yep. He tends to, the tax people tend to get swamped, and Kurt is certainly no different. Wonderful to have him here and, and, and be here with him. Anyway, getting on with the program here. Just a, a few reminders about our, our, some of our rules. You can ask questions live here through the Q&A uh, section. We have several of our colleagues on uh, staff here today answering those questions. We have Dana, Jared, Ross, Tanya, Troy, all from different departments, bookkeeping, tax advisors, et cetera, from nonprofit department, attorneys. Sergey is going to be here in a little bit. So we got a whole bunch of people back there to help out. Of course, we have the, the live staff here, Patty helping out and... and uh, uh, Kenny and company all helping us out here, and Matthew. Uh, so we, we thank you for joining us today again. And uh, you can, again, put the questions to the Q&A section in Zoom, or in Zoom, uh, if you're on the Zoom, as well as you can email questions to TaxTuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. That's where we pick the questions from. We try and get to the level them out to, to what are the topics that most of you are asking about, as well as some that might be a little bit unique that we don't get asked a whole lot about. We also understand that we have a lot of clients here in real estate or stocks, so we try and put a fair share of those in there as well. So uh, we'll get through our questions we have today, but feel free to submit them there uh, through the email as well. If you need a more detailed response, uh, you will need to become a platinum or tax client. Uh, we certainly want to help out if we can on these, but remember, these, this is a free service, so there's uh, sometimes only just generalities that we can give through this service, but uh, we want to help however we can, but sometimes we might need you to become a client to do so. So we try and make it fast, fun, not always fast, but fun and educational, uh, just a way of to give back to you clients and, and show our appreciation. And again, something we do every two weeks here. We are on episode number 196. And just getting into the questions, we're going to try, uh, hit straight to the questions. But first, just a reminder, uh, we have a lot of YouTube activity uh, from our partners, Toby being one of the founding partners. He's got his YouTube channel here, and you can join up here. He's got tons of video and content always adding to it. Uh, so something to keep in the back of your mind, Clint has one as well. You can subscribe on YouTube here at the, for the latest, uh, aba.link forward slash YouTube. Uh, for your replays, and this will be up there as well for your Platinum Clients replay of this Tax Tuesday. Now, getting on to the questions. You ready to go, Kurt? I am, absolutely. All right, so let me read the first one off here for you. All right, number one, if bonus and accelerated depreciation were taken in 2022 via a cost seg on Schedule C, how many years does the IRS require that the property for the required for the property to meet the active short-term rental criteria after the fact? In other words, 
since that depreciation was taken up front in year one, is it reasonable to expect the IRS to require to maintain that status? But at some point, what if the real estate business needs to pivot to a long-term rental or something of that nature? What happens to that tax treatment in 2022? Any idea there, Kurt, what we got going on? Yeah. So it looks like you have a short-term rental filed on Schedule C. You took the depreciation in 2022. So that's all very fine, well, and good. But then maybe next year, you know, the intent changes, your business plans change, anything can really change. And maybe there would be a need to pivot that uh, short-term rental into a long-term rental. So there really is no requirement for you to keep it as a short-term rental from year to year to year. It's a year by year, a tax year by tax year determination. So if you meet the qualifications for that in 2022, that's fine. You know, you meet the qualifications for 2022. And whatever happens in 2023 really has no bearing on what happened in 2022. So say in 2023, you did pivot to a long-term rental. That house, that short-term rental would just pivot over to a long-term rental. You change where it gets reported. Instead of uh, the Schedule C there, uh, we'd probably be looking to have it reported where typical long-term rentals get reported. That's uh, Schedule E. And uh, the adjusted basis for that property should carry over to schedules, Schedule E. So uh, really not too much would change for 2022. But uh, if you did change your intent later on, later tax years, 2023 or beyond, um, we would just report it a little differently on your tax return. Exactly right. So I could go out there, buy a property kind of towards the end of the year, maybe get that short-term rental activity, get that big depreciation in 2022. And then, Kurt, you're saying that, fine, we got that nice write-off in the first year, even though we had a short period of time. And then the next year, we can go ahead and turn it into a long-term. Maybe it's passive. We don't maybe care as much because we got the heavy write-off in the first year with maybe bonus depreciation. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Take the write-off in year one, meet the meet the requirements in year one. That's 2022. And then, you know, if your intent changes, you want to acquire another short-term rental and kind of do the same strategy in 2023, that original short-term rental in 2022 could just become a long-term rental and kind of uh, just lessen the burdens of requiring to materially participate in that uh, long-term rental in years going forward. All right, great. And it is a strategy we've talked about a lot here at Anderson and, and a wonderful question. All right, thank you, Kurt. Getting on to the next one. We have a two-member LLC, taxes as sub-S or just commonly known as an S corporation, two members, which would be shareholders. Each member slash shareholder contributed a substantial amount of money of capital over four years. So they're putting a lot of money into this S corporation, both of them he or she, can a member be bought out tax-free by the LLC by giving them a sell price in the form of capital distributions? What say you, Kurt? Yeah. So when we talk about that one, when we're talking about actually buying the S-Corp, buying out that uh, shareholder, that member's ownership interest in that LLC, you'd probably be looking something at, uh, at a stock redemption. And when you redeem stock as a shareholder in S-Corp, Whatever price you get paid to redeem that stock is going to be your proceeds from that redemption. So it would kind of determine what your basis is in those shares to determine if you had a capital gain or not. But if the LLC were able to buy out that interest at, uh, at something similar to the value that you actually put in, um, it said you had made capital contributions over four years. So it's very possible that you have pretty substantial tax basis in your shares 
It's very possible it could be tax-free, but keep in mind the uh, redemption of those stocks should be close to fair market value. So kind of depends on the assets that we've contributed, what the assets have done within that S-Corp thus far. But it's, it's, it's certainly possible that it could be bought out tax-free. Very good. Excellent. So it's really no different than just selling any stock. In a sense, you're going to get a sales price or the redemption price back. And we subtract out that basis that we have, which in this case is your, your shareholder basis in that, in that stock. And that's how we determine if there is any gain. So as Kurt pointed out, if, if that amount happens to be equal to whatever our, our, our basis was or shareholder basis, then it's possible that there'd be little or no tax on it. Certainly. All right. Excellent. Next question. If a medical procedure is performed in Mexico, can you use your health reimbursement account from your C corporation? Yeah. So again, I, I don't, I'm not unaware of any specific uh, rule or regulation prohibiting a medical procedure being performed in, in another country. You got to keep in mind, though, that uh, if you're going to, you know, a foreign country, there should be, you know, it shouldn't be that you're necessarily going on a, a nice vacation to Mexico and you just happen to be getting a, a medical expense done there. The actual medical expense certainly could be deductible anywhere. But when you talk about um, other types of auxiliary medical expenses, like, you know, the lodging, things like that, that is kind of where we got to be a little bit more careful about, uh, you know, what kind of deductions we're taking. I think the IRS says there should be no significant element of personal pleasure, recreation, or vacation in the travel for getting those medical expenses. So you just want to be a little careful with that, but you certainly can uh, have a medical procedure done in uh, a foreign country and uh, use your health reimbursement account to have that reimbursed and deductible by the corporation. Perfect. And just before we get excited about maybe having that trip so that we could have, uh, as Kurt pointed out, maybe even a hotel portion being paid by that, it is limited to $50 a night. Uh, there's other stipulations and things like that. So we probably don't want to get that five-star hotel just yet if we're doing something like that. want to keep it related to that medical procedure and certainly can't be cosmetic as its sole purpose. It really has to be for the prevention or cure or um you know, significant medical uh, problems, probably, you know, definitely done by a, a licensed medical professional. All right. And that is a big uh, area of the things that we talk about. That medical reimbursement plan had a few questions that came in during the last two weeks for TaxWise, excuse me, Tax Tuesday for that. So we actually have another question kind of along the lines of our health plans and things like that. Is there a list that of IRS allowable healthcare expenses that can be reimbursed under a Section 105 HRA, Health Reimbursement Arrangement, which is what we often set up with RC corporations? There are defined lists of allowable reimbursements for HSA plans and FSA cafeteria plans, but I don't see an IRS-specific list for 105 plans. Does the employer have some latitude as what can be reimbursed? Where do we go to look for what we can do on our, our 105 plan? Yeah. So, you know, when, when we talk about what's allowable, uh, certainly things that would be allowable under HSA and FSA plans are what we're going to first look at. But we're also going to look at uh, what else might be deductible if we hadn't got a reimbursement, we just paid out of pocket and tried to take that medical expense on our Schedule A on our personal tax return. So in that case, the IRS has a great publication, Publication 502. All you got to do is Google that, Publication 502, and it'll kind of give you a, a list of commonly deductible medical expenses that, you know, they go through 
almost any kind of medical situation that, that, that you might have. And uh, that's really handy publication to, to keep in your quiver to, uh, you know, if you have a question on whether it's, it's something deductible or not, head right there. And, uh, you know, for us, you know, when we talk about what is deductible under a Section 105 plan, that is usually what I would kind of look towards to see, is this specific medical expense deductible first? And if it's deductible there, very good chance that uh, it would be able to be reimbursed under the 105 plan. Very good. And just because of a rule of thumb, I often, you know, some of us will tell the clients, if a medical uh, professional, if it's something that they have prescribed or uh, treatment that they have requested that you get for some, again, prevention or um, uh, curing of, of some medical condition, then more than likely you're going to fall in there because even the 502, it's an expensive, that publication, it's an expansive, excuse me, a list of different things that can be done. It's certainly not exclusive. There's a lot of other things out there, I'm sure, uh, that aren't in it, but it is certainly a great resource to look at. It's one that we look at often and to, to try and guide uh, clients. And uh, excellent job. All right, next. I purchased my first short, short-term rental property last year and have spent a year fixing it up, but it's still out, uh, not out as a rental. Can I write off my expenses from 2022 for a business that isn't making revenue yet? If so, how? There's no LLC started yet, so this would be on my personal taxes for now. So Kurt, I got a, a property that I'm setting up for rental. I'm not done getting it uh, placed in the service. I'm still working on it. What can I do for expenses, if anything? Yeah, so it looks like you have a rental property. Fixing it up, not quite in business yet. So usually we'd be looking at that, uh, is it available for rent? It's not available for rent. Usually we might be able to take the simply the organizational costs um, associated with kind of getting that, uh, that business up and running. Probably not the startup costs. And most likely when we talk about the short-term rental, what really is going to be valuable to you is that depreciation component. So because the rental was not operational, was not available for rent, by the end of the tax year, usually we're going to be kind of limited to being able to start to appreciate that short-term rental. So there might be some availability to write off some of those expenses, maybe just those organizational costs. But commonly, a lot of those expenses will be started to be able to be deducted in the year you actually place that short-term rental in operation, which would be 2023. Very good. Now, that is an oft-asked question of us, hey, I don't have any revenue yet. Often people associating the the production of revenue with being maybe the start of some tax event. The only thing that that starts is that you will have to pay taxes if you do have net revenue. But that's not what we look to, to whether or not we have to do a return or if a loss indeed would come up or if it's placed into service. Those are all different things that we would look at. And as Kurt pointed out, with a rental, be it short-term or long-term, we don't do anything with it until it's actually been placed into service that's when we'll start to, to uh, have that activity showing up. Moving on. So I share ownership of the single family rental property, 50-50 with a relative. Okay, sounds good. The other owner has not been involved, right? Very fair. If I buy her out, step up in basis, or if she passes her ownership share to me by gift, then will I be responsible if I sell the property down the road for any depreciation that she may have claimed on her tax returns while she owned it? So that's a good question. Yeah, it's a wonderful question. And uh, we do get this from time to time. And it really, it does depend on which option we're going here. 
if one sells the interest and the other purchases, as Kurt pointed out, we're going to have a, a taxable transaction there. He mentioned stepped-up basis going on there. Uh, but the key to the depreciation here is that I would simply take, if I bought, if Kurt and I had a, a rental and I bought out his share, I'm simply going to take over the property, but I probably sold it, or he probably sold his interest at a gain of some sort. And if he recognizes gain, then he is going to have depreciation recapture at that point, depending on the amount of gain. And the way depreciation recapture happens, if you have gain, the first top portion of that capital gain will be subject to depreciation recapture, 1250 typically, or it could be 1245 if we've done a cost seg. And uh, up to that amount of depreciation taken, that first top of the of the capital gains, the initial capital gains will be taxed at that higher rate. And then the rest would be just true capital gains, maybe 15%, possibly zero, or 20% more commonly, something along those lines. But there will be depreciation recapture for the partner, in this case, that sold their interest if there was a gain. Now, if it was sold right at uh, the the the, uh, the amount of their their interest in the partnership, then there wouldn't be any gain. Very similar to what Kurt was talking about earlier in the earlier question of the S corporation, it is possible to have an amount that is equal to their 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 um, the partnership interest outside basis we call it, and therefore there would be no gain. <clears throat> if there's no gain, there's no depreciation recapture, and the purchaser would not have to worry about that portion. But on the other hand, we talk about what if we gifted something here? If Kurt gifted his interest to me, then I, as a recipient of that, would have to worry about depreciation recapture later on if I sold it. So to our questioner here, in the case of buyout, no depreciation recapture to be for, for the, the person buying but in the case of uh, donation or gifting to, to the uh, to the buyer, we'll say, uh, then there there is depreciation recapture later on upon the sell of that. All right, an interesting question there. Yeah, just a reminder. Yes, uh, Clint Coons. Yeah, he also has his tax and asset work, work uh, tax and asset protection workshop. Uh, you'll often see Toby in there as well. This was the event that they did down recently, and we were talking about in in Florida not too terribly long ago that Kurt was at. Uh, we looks like we have some. A one-day event coming up on June 15th. It's free online for the online portion. And then another one on June 24th, two weeks later. Uh, so be uh, sure to get there if you can. Even if you've been to them before, it doesn't hurt to get back in there. A lot to learn about it. Always They always try and update these two, these things as well, maybe with some new data if anything else has come up. Uh, but always good to get in there and kind of and, and hear it again sometimes. Also, just reminding, we also have that structure implementation series out there that you can you can check on our website if your clients, uh, platinum clients that is. That's another great way to, to learn more. But here, our bread and butter tax and asset workshop protection Clint gets into all that asset protection, so very important to learn about. Toby comes in talking about the tax side of things, so it's a, it's really a wonderful event. Hopefully, you can make those uh, events on the 15th again and on the 24th. All right, going on with the questions. Uh, me and my partner purchased, renovated, and set up a property in Houston for short-term rental. We have a 50-50 LLC, looking at a partnership, it looks like. We've never partnered before. How do we separate the expenses and income? How do we file? Kurt, we, I just got in this venture with somebody, maybe with you. What's going on? How, how, how does this handle? How's the income, expenses, how do they all get handled? Yeah, so when we talk about separating the expenses and income, with that LLC, all the expenses and that uh, all the income and expenses are going to be reported on that one LLC. Because that LLC is a multi-member 
And presumably, when you say your partner, that's uh, kind of a business associate or something like that. Uh, Any multi-member LLC is actually going to be taxed as a partnership. So when we talk about how to actually separate that out, the LLC in question will report its income from the short-term rental. All the expenses on that short-term rental, right on that partnership tax return, form uh, 1065. And each, and along with that filing, uh, the 1065 will each uh, will issue each partner, you and your and your partner there, uh, K1, which uh, will kind of detail your 50% of the income and your 50% of the expenses. And sim- similar with your, your partner, they'll get 50% of the income and 50% of the expenses on that form K1. And then you'll use that form K1 when you go to prepare your personal tax return and you'll incorporate that K1 into your personal tax filing so that you're in effect getting 50% of the expenses and 50% of the income. But uh, there is really no separation on the LLC level. It'll all go on that one 1065 filing, which in the process of doing that filing will issue that K1 and then you'll use that to prepare your personal tax return. And just to throw out just a little bit of a curveball that sometimes we get on when we talk about a partnership like this, uh, Kurt, probably an unfair question, just throwing it out here, but uh, ever a time when maybe on a partnership, we might be able to allocate differently for some reason or another? Have you ever run into that at all? We talk about it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, you know, there might be a reason to specially allocate income or expenses uh, differently among the partners. Uh, depends on kind of, um, you know, who's doing what, you know, maybe one partner is just putting in the capital, maybe one partner is putting in the sweat equity. Uh, you certainly can make an agreement with the LLC um, and lay that out within the LLC agreement to apply the tax attributes differently, depending on how the partnership is made up and kind of who contributed capital, who contributed services, things like that, that might uh, kind of change the nature of how much income or expense or which specific income or expense items get allocated to each individual partner. But when you're going to do that, make sure that you have that agreement in writing. And um, the key there is that it makes economic sense. You know, just because Elliot put in all the money and I put in all the sweat equity does not mean that uh, I'm entitled to certain deductions and he's entitled to certain incomes. It's got to kind of really make economic sense when you kind of look at it from a holistic point of view. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Excellent. So certainly something that can be done. And we do get asked that a lot because a lot of the great examples that Kurt just gave there, maybe someone put the house in. Other person did all the the work. Maybe they want to give all the depreciation to the the one who put the house in. Uh, that can be done. Now it's something that again, as Kurt cautioned, you don't want to just go out there and do. And you want to have language in there about this uh, substantial economic purpose or reason that you're doing it, that it makes economic sense, etc. So there are some particularities to it. Uh, but it is while generally we like to see the if it's fifty fifty, we want to see things split you know, as we you know would normally be the case amongst that that profits percentage, uh, there, is, you know, there are avenues for that changing around, but uh, it's not something to be taken lightly. If the IRS sees it, they're going to want to come and say, you know, see why we're doing that. And you want to have that, as Kurt pointed out again, the, the reasonings to back up uh, how it was being treated on that return. Excellent. All right. Moving on to the next question. All right. I'm a 77-year-old newlywed. Congratulations. My husband has a trust for his family. Do I need one for my family or is a will sufficient? You ever hear anything about 
maybe how the partners think about that uh, wills versus trusts or anything like that uh, ever run across your desk there, Kurt? Yeah. So, you know, if you have a will, you know, that's a, always a good starting point. However, a will can be contested. Often, you know, when we talk about what is good, better, best, having a living trust by placing all your assets within the living trust. So it's very clear to when you ultimately pass where you'd like your assets to go. And that's very clearly laid out. That usually is a, a better bet. And the reason we usually like that in over a will would be that uh, you know a, a will is going to be something that can be contested. It has to go through the probate process. Where a living trust, you know, you're actually just strictly directing where those assets go. Saves a lot of money on the probate costs. I know that uh, you know before I came to Anderson, I had a, a situation where a client didn't have a will or a living trust, and there was some significant amount of assets. And um, some states actually, I think we were in Connecticut at the time, they actually charged to administer the probate estate, actually a percentage of assets. And this client had a large, large amount of assets to go through probate. And uh, the probate was incredibly expensive for that client. So not only professional fees to administer the entire probate, but also on the court level to uh, administer the probate through the court uh, was just an unnecessary expense that uh, could easily been avoided um, if the client had a living trust. So always a pretty good idea for something like that. Excellent points. And yes, uh, Kurt's exactly right. I used to work for a law firm that did that quite a bit. Uh, uh, had a lot of uh, will activity coming through. Trusts just really weren't used a whole lot at that time. I'm a little bit older and was quite a bit younger when I was working at that particular firm. And um, it is an added expense, just as Kurt pointed out, one that you can avoid. And it's not to say, and it certainly cuts down on the red tape, you know, not going through probate or at least limiting anything that would go through probate. It doesn't mean that there's not quote unquote red tape with a trust, a living trust. Uh, there's a lot that has to be handled sometimes with that as well. But it's certainly, uh, I think we can all promise you that it's certainly a lot easier through a living trust. And, you know, unfortunately, when those things are being in use, uh, it's usually a kind of a tough time to begin with. Um, and you probably want to make it as easier on you as as, as possible, or, or your your heirs, your beneficiaries, I should say. And uh, so we highly recommend using that that living trust, uh, always to just kind of set things straight and not leave it up, leave it up to the courts. And uh, you know, maybe a lot cheaper for your estate overall than going the will option. So certainly, some of the living trust is something revocable living trust. Get it set up, and we do those. Uh, certainly, we have a uh, Sergey who's. I think on here answering some questions, maybe he might be in yet. Uh, he handles a lot of them. Maybe he's not. He's probably doing one right now. Anyway, uh, very good. Thank you, Kurt. Getting on to the next question. I wanted to know if I can write off any stock trading education through my LLC if I pay myself a W-2 and have 401k deductions taken out and put into a self-directed solo 401k plan. I am the only employee I want to start learning about covered calls and so forth. So maybe we have some education with trading. I guess it doesn't really even matter what the education is. How do we work that with a C corporation or excuse me, with an LLC? Kurt? Yeah. So in this circumstance, it, it might look, uh, it might be a good idea to start looking at um, what we often set up for people looking to get into the market, kind of uh, what, what's called a, a trading structure, an LLC tax as a partnership. Uh, where you are one of the partners in that LLC, 
And then you also have maybe your corporation partner uh, with you in that LLC. And maybe you have kind of a, maybe a 90% ownership. Maybe the corporation has a 10% ownership and the corporation's actually serving as the manager of that, that LLC. And the LLC actually holds that, uh, you know, those, those brokerage assets uh, actually does that trading activity. And what that's going to do is allow that corporation because a, a corporation is going to have a lot more flexibility uh, to write off things like education and other business expenses as a, as a manager of that trading LLC compared to if you just have that LLC uh, and it's simply disregarded to you. So uh, again, if you have that, uh, that C Corp as a partner within that LLC partnership structure, you know, not only can you uh, pay yourself a W-2 wage, you can set up a solo 401k through that corporation, uh, maybe some, make some contributions to that solo 401k, uh, all things that uh, really kind of open up um, the option to do a lot more um, interesting things by changing the LLC to just being from just being disregarded to you and having you as the only member to adding your corporation as a member in that LLC and running that payroll, uh, those education, those 401k contributions through the corporation itself, and just having that uh, corporation be the manager there. That's right. It, it's a very popular structure that we have, the trading partnership for uh, you know our clients who do do a lot of trading. It's not for everybody. It does matter a little bit about what you go on, have going on in your particular situation. So you certainly want to talk to our senior strategists and things like that to maybe get properly set up for something like that. But just as Kurt pointed out, many times uh, one might incur some of these education or training expenses. And the typical general rules, you cannot deduct those. You can't deduct it on your personal return. for the, This is for a new line of business. You can't deduct it on your 1040 as a Schedule C sole proprietor. You couldn't do it through a partnership. Um, so often what we will do, and really you're not supposed to do it through an S corporation either, C corporation is often the only way you can deduct it. So maybe, as Kurt pointed out, we set up a partnership, maybe have the trading activity in that partnership. And the C corporation is just one of the partners and you're the other one. Maybe you have 90%, C corp has 10. That allows you to get the education training taken care of through the C corporation, in which case it'll be deducted there where it's allowed to be deducted because you can train your employees. Uh, you're allowed to do so on a C corporation. Whereas you couldn't if you didn't have that. And then also, uh, just from the trading activity itself, if you had $100 of income from trading and you didn't have that, well, all $100 is going to come to your 1040 on your personal return, all to be taxed, depending on what your tax bracket is at the capital gains rates. But if we have that $100 being earned in our trading partnership, automatically $10 of that or 10% will go to the C Corp, which is one of the, it's a 10% partner. So right there, we've saved 10% or $10 in our example from being taxed on your 1040. Now, $10 may not sound like a lot, but if that trading gain becomes 100000 or more, that's, that can be a significant amount of money that gets moved into the C corporation and kept, kept off your 1040 to be taxed. Once that money is in the C corporation, as Kurt pointed out, there are so many deductions we have on that C corporation. Medical reimbursement plans. We, talked, we had a couple questions today about those. You can get some of your medical premiums uh, reimbursed, things like that. Trips to Mexico, if need be, for medical treatment. Uh, co-pays. Uh, you go to the doctor. Doctor, uh, you have to pay a copay to see the doctor. He or she writes you a prescription. You run over to the pharmacy. You have to pay a copay there. You can get all that reimbursed to the C-Corp. 
all that through that money that was going to be taxed originally on your personal return. Now it's in the C corporation. You have an accountable plan, which can give you a home office. If you have a home office that you're operating the C corp for, you can be reimbursed for the costs related to that based again on the percentage of the, the space that that office is taking up in the house. So some of your personal expenses actually can be reimbursed through the corporation, tax-free to you. All these reimbursements are tax-free. The medical reimbursement, accountable plan reimbursements, all money coming in your pocket, tax-free, and their deductions to the same at the same time to the corporation. Corporation also is required to have corporate meetings. Under Section 288, you can have some of those in your house as well. Uh, you know, we want to make sure we abide by all the rules and make sure we're having actual meetings, et cetera, but uh, it can pay you for that. All great ways to get that money out of the corporation back in your pocket tax-free, deduction to the corporation at the same time. Again, all from money that would have otherwise been on your 1040 if you didn't have that structure. And if there's not enough money in the corporation, the corporation can be paid for its services that it's providing. In a partnership, we have a very special, unique uh, item called a guaranteed payment which is just paying the corporation basically for its activities. It's a flat fee. It can pay that in there, get more money into our C corporation and help cover those reimbursements that Kurt and I were just talking about. Again, medical reimbursement, cannibal plan reimbursements for maybe a home off administrative office or mileage or something like that. And then again, corporate meetings as well. So a really powerful plan. You run across a lot of these, Kurt? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's, uh, probably about every week that, uh, you know, we're having a, a discussion with a new client who's just either really doing well in the market. You know, they've uh, already been investing for a long time and they're looking for some benefits um, to kind of, you know, take the edge off some of that, uh, that investment income, uh, or they're just getting into, uh, you know, trading or uh, doing covered calls or, or any kind of uh, portfolio investing. And, uh, you know, they're just looking for the right structure up front so that uh, they never kind of do it the wrong way and then um, you know get their taxes filed and realize how much tax they're actually paying on the uh, on that investment income so you see it quite often yeah and we just saw on one of our earlier slides that we have Clinton and Toby coming up with that tax and asset protection where we learn a lot about these tax ta- uh, tactics and, and structures and things like that that's the trading. But if, what if, you know, Kurt, what if we also had some rentals out there? We've seen questions. We know we have a lot of clients with rental, uh, you know, rental properties and all that. Can you use the same C corporation help yeah. out there? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, there could be uh, numerous ways to use a C corporation. You know, you can use it in the trading structure kind of to manage your stock portfolio in this, uh, in this trading structure we were just talking about. That same C corp could also be used to manage your rental properties. Maybe it's a short-term rental that uh, you have right in that C-Corp. Maybe you're just using that C-Corp to manage your long-term rental properties. There's really a lot lot of things you could do with it. Uh, You know, we even have clients that uh, are flipping out of their C-Corps. So if there's extra deductions that you can capture in that C-Corp and there's multiple streams of income to that C-Corp, there's really a lot you can do with it to kind of maximize the tax benefits um, of having those corporations. So they can be tremendously beneficial from uh, a lot of different ways. Very good point. And it also, being a C-Corp, correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, but it's taxed at a flat 21%. So you know, if we get any money in there and off of our 1040 and we were at the 37% tax bracket, you know, at least we, we were able to save a little bit there as well. That could, that could uh, help out in the bottom line as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, that low flat 21%. I mean, compared to someone who's, uh, you know, not only in the 37% tax bracket, maybe uh, some of that income, depending on how it's earned, you know, for example, of, of the they're doing flips, that might also be subject to self-employment tax. Um, so not only are you saving 37%, you know, or the difference between 21% and 37%, but also potentially the self-employment tax, potentially a lower uh, state tax rate. So it can be tremendously beneficial. Excellent. So as you can see, a lot of use. These We can build these structures. We've got, like I said, our senior strategists always out there uh, tinkering, putting these things together. Uh, Toby and Clint are always out there, you know, in, in things like the tax and asset protection class, uh, handling, uh, helping get that that uh, information out to you. So again, feel free to join that 15th and the 24th. All right, next, and I think this is our last question. When you pay your kids to work in your business, is this only allowed with a certain type of business structure, such as an LLC versus a partnership? A lot to unpack there. What do we got going on here, Kurt? Yeah, so it is a, a lot to unpack. And, and and the first thing to remember is no matter your business structure, you can always pay your kids to work in your business as long as they're doing, you know, things that you would pay regular employees to do. It can be a great way to shift income off your tax return or your taxes and shift that income to their tax bracket, you know, potentially have them pay, you know, little to no income tax on their side. So you can always pay your kids no matter your business structure. However, there can be ways to have your business structure be more efficient when it comes to paying your kids. You know, oftentimes depends on on what your structure is. But, uh, you know, oftentimes if we were to use simply a disregarded entity that was owned by, you know, husband and wife to pay the kids, um, that actually, you know, depending on how much we pay them, you know, if we pay them just up to the standard deduction, which I think is thirteen nine fifty in 2023, if I'm not mistaken, you know, if you pay them just up to that point, not only are they going to get the benefits of that standard deduction, so essentially they pay no uh, federal income tax, but if you pay them through a disregarded entity, also there might not be any payroll taxes associated with those, those wages. So, you know, for example, if you already have a corporation like we've been talking about, you can potentially, instead of paying them directly out of the corporation, you can set up a disregarded entity, maybe have a have the corporation have a contract between the disregarded entity and the corporation for those services, pay the kids directly out of the disregarded entity, have them on payroll through, you know, just a running payroll, just like you would with any other employee. And uh, then there would be no... Uh, payroll taxes. So that's FICA, FUDA, potentially any any state payroll taxes that are associated with that would not be subject to it if you did that particular way and paid them through the disregarded entity. Then the corporation just pays like a contracted fee to the disregarded entity to cover those costs. And uh, then you've essentially paid your kids without incurring payroll taxes. And then as long as you don't pay them above the standard deduction, you've also made those wages not subject to federal income taxes as well. So you might have to worry about a little bit of uh, state income taxes, depending on, on what state you live in. But overall, especially with clients who are in the higher tax brackets, you know, 25, 32, 37, anything like that, it can be tremendous, uh, tremendously beneficial to kind of just shift income over to your kids, maybe get them started on, uh, you know, a, a Roth IRA, things like that. So when they have that money, they uh, can start investing that, uh, throw it in the Roth IRA or something like that. Uh, and then 
maybe they'll never actually have to pay any income on those wages uh, ever. So it could be tremendously beneficial way to shift income to uh, your heirs. Very good. And even if we can't, uh, you know, if we don't want to go through or we don't want to go through the extra effort of setting up that separate LLC, as Kurt pointed out, you can pay them directly from your, your operating business if it's a corporation or what have you. Uh, that's certainly not a problem. The one thing to take away, though, if we are trying to get the savings for younger children, you know, under 17, 17 or under for saving on self-employment tax, they have to be paid as W-2. They can't be 1099. They must be W-2 employees of that entity. And that does have to, again, be maybe a sole proprietorship owned by one of the parents or a partnership owned by both the parents, uh, something of that nature. We could not do that. Again, get that employment tax savings if we were paying them out of an S-corp or a C-corporation. But still, you can get benefit in that uh, if we pay them under that amount that Kurt was talking about, the standard deduction, approximately thirteen nine fifty or thereabouts in that neighborhood this year for 2023, then they don't pay any federal income tax. So still a tax savings, but they would have to pay on the employment taxes. Uh, and if it was, they're being paid out of a C-corporation, other thoughts, because it starts to get a little bit more complicated when we throw in these different uh, scenarios but maybe mom and dad already have that set up, like we talked about in one of these previous C-Corps that we've talked about in the previous questions. Maybe we have a solo 401k set up. Well, that should only have mom and dad as employees you know, of, of the sponsoring entity. We don't want to bring the kids on as employees because that could change up what we're allowed to do with our solo 401k. We might have to get a standard uh, 401k as opposed to solo. So maybe there you want to pay them as independent contractors, if at all possible. There is a distinction between when we can call someone an independent contractor versus an employee, I believe, uh, Kurt. Any ideas on that? I know we've talked about that in previous uh, Tax Tuesdays before. Any idea when you're an independent contractor versus a W-2? Uh, yeah. So, you know, independent contractor is really going to kind of function independently of the employer. So, you know, it's certainly possible that uh, your kids could be independent of you or your business, kind of just set them up give them a little bit more discretion on what their tasks are, give them a little bit more flexibility. Don't treat them like the rest of your employees. And, um, you know, just make sure you issue that 1099 at the end of the year instead of kind of doing the formal payroll. And, um, you know, you just uh, claim them as, as independent contractors. Exactly right. And a lot of different uh, tests out there. You'll see the federal test for independent contractor versus employee. And uh, there's maybe 17 different items on there. I think all of them, state or federal tests for this, one of the big uh, criteria is the control. How much control do you exhibit over this individual, be it family or not? Are you telling them when to do it, how to do it, where to do it, so on and so forth, or are they kind of independent? The more independence, the more they look like an independent contractor, as the name suggests. So keep that in the back of your mind, uh, getting back to the, especially when we're talking about employ, uh, employing the kids, and just be aware of these things that while, yes, we can do these things, set up these structures, uh, they can impact other things such as a solo 401k example of having our kids on there. We may not have that uh, accessible to us, the solo 401k, if we brought children on as employees. So we might want to think of different methods of paying them. But a lot of benefits to it, certainly, as Kurt went over, you can, they can sponsor their own Roth plans and things like that. Uh, start them at an early age. Uh, maybe put it into, uh, you know, uh, put it away for, for college later on or something like that. 
what are you going to pay them for? They can do any number of things. Social media is always a popular one. I know my sister's kids know all about that stuff. I know nothing. And so if I ever had something, I could employ them to try and help me out for marketing or something like that. Uh, just, you know, things. Uh, so great question. I uh, love these questions. It shows that you're getting out there thinking about these different things and uh, very wonderful. And I think that was it for our questions uh, for today. So just as a reminder, please check out the YouTube uh, sites, uh, Toby's and or Clint's. And, and uh, I think Carl has one as well. Coffee with Carl, I believe, is on there as well. So a lot of Anderson YouTube stuff going on. Toby's here. As you can see, uh, uh, feel free to, to click in there. He puts tons of videos up there. <laughs> He's, I love his, his, his facial expressions on a lot of them. <laughs> um, and then moving on, of course, as we talked about the tax and asset protection workshop, again, coming up here, it's online free virtual event on the 15th of June. And again, on June 24th, really great event. You're going to learn a lot about the asset protection. And again, Toby's going to throw in there the tax side and where the two meet. Uh, no better presenters of this material out there than Clint and Toby and and uh, Michael Bowman and 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 our, our partners out there doing this. And uh, again, it's just a way to give out to the clients another some more free information. If you've already been there, encourage you to go again just to learn more. Some of the stuff you learn by repetition. So uh, feel free to get in there. And again, we have other uh, training items like structure implementation workshop or structure implementation series that you can. If you're a platinum client, you can find out more and get in there and learn about how it all runs at a more in-depph level and things like that. Free free to you, you Platinum clients. And I think that's all we have for today, Kurt. Any, any last words? Oh, just as a reminder, if you have questions for the next Tax Tuesday coming up in two weeks, please reach out to us by email, taxtuesday at andersonadvisors.com and, or you can just go to our main website, andersonadvisors.com. Any uh, last words of wisdom there, Kurt? I just want to thank everyone for joining us today. It was uh, lovely to be on here and uh, join in Elliot again. And uh, hopefully we'll see you all in uh, two weeks for the next one. Absolutely. And uh, just a thanks to our staff that helped out here. Again, we had Kenny and Matthew and uh, Patty helping with all the tech stuff. Uh, we had, uh, say, we got Dana, Jared, Lansy, Ross, Tanya, and Troy answering those questions in the background. Thank you all for joining us. Always great to be here. It's a pleasure. And, and we certainly appreciate the opportunity to, to help with your questions, get those questions in there, and hopefully we'll be able to pick yours or at least one similar to it and help you out. Thank you so much. Good to everyone. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast, and if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 